0: Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Manushka Charles concludes our collection of talks, The Art of Joy, Life Lessons from Philippians. In this message, class is in session, redefining contentment and sharing three daily practices we can adapt to shift our perspective for a life of joy. Let's lean into the message together.
1: Like Luke mentioned, we have been in a collection of talks called The Art of Joy. But we've been taking time to study the book of Philippians. And I heard today just over thousands of people have downloaded our online journal. And it's amazing to know that as a church, as a body, that we're taking time to go through a book of the Bible, to, to pause and to hear what God would say. And the book of Philippians, it's, it's a short book. It's about four chapters long. You could probably read the whole thing before I end my sermon. But it's just a short letter that Paul wrote to the church that he started in Philippi. And it's really interesting to know the position that Paul was in as he writes this letter. He's writing this letter from prison, but the content of the letter, he's talking about joy. He's talking about contentment, that he is encouraging these body, this body of believers and he's telling them how they can live with joy. And given his circumstance, you think that he might talk about something different. But what he does is he invites the church at Philippi to imitate him. He invites them to learn from him to to learn what he has learned. Philippians 2 verse 17, through 18, it says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That he's like, I, I can I can rejoice even in the midst of my circumstance, so you too can rejoice with me. And so today as we're closing out this collection Talking about the art of joy, I'm gonna take some time to talk about the art of joy through contentment. See, an art can be defined as a skill at doing a specific thing, typically one acquired through practice. And what I've learned about joy is that joy is a gift, but it also takes practice. That it is a skill, that if we desire to have a level of joy that is mature and deep, that it is going to take practice. And the way that i know this because i look at what paul is saying and i'm like how could he have joy like i'm not there yet how could he have joy in what he faced and and so when we look at paul's life we realize that there is a maturity to joy that i don't just want surface level joy and i don't just want surface level peace i don't just want a measure of it i want the whole thing i want the fullness of what god has for me and i believe that as we look to the text we can learn from Paul so we're going to read Philippians 4 verses 4 through 13 it says rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If you have anything excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in to practice. And the God of peace will be with you. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you res- renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And we all know this verse, probably in the New King James Version, I can do all things through. See that text is probably one of the most used verses in the Bible. It's on t-shirts, it's on mugs. Some of y'all got it on your Instagram bio. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But, but it is the most used text, but it's also the most misused that often it is taken out of context. It's often misquoted. I was at a museum the other day and and I was reading a quote and it said, Abraham Lincoln. I said, wait, Abraham Lincoln didn't say that. I think think Jesus said it. I was like, like, Jesus said it first. Maybe Abraham Lincoln said it later, but we can take things out of context. We can misquote some things. And I know because I have misquoted and misused this text think about when i've been was in college i would walk into a final that i didn't study for and i'd say i can do all things through christ it's like no you should have studied it don't work that way that's not that's not what paul is talking about see paul is not saying that you can do everything and anything paul is saying that god will be with you through everything and through anything It's important to understand the context because God wants you to live out your dreams, that God wants you to accomplish your goals. And there are scriptures in the Bible that would support that, but this text isn't it. See, if we look at the context, he is talking about contentment. Say, like, I, I have learned how to be content. And so, for the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you from this thought. We're going to learn from, from Professor Paul. I, I call this class is in session. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence that is in the room. God, we thank you because you desire to show us what joy looks like. That you desire to meet us, God, at our point of need. And so we just pray, God, that you would speak. That we would hear from you. That whatever it is that you desire to say, that that, God, I yield myself to you. And I say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I know it's summer, but class class is in session. (laughs) I like to to think of myself as a lifelong learner. Like, I I love to learn. I love to read. I am a student of life. Like, I'm still learning how to preach. Like, I'm learning. Because if you are not learning, you aren't growing. That, That I want to always constantly be a student. But when I think about how I grew up, I was a fairly good student. Like I got good grades, like I did really good in English and writing and, and history, but math just, math had a chokehold on your girl. Like I didn't know if I was gonna make it out to second grade, that's how, that's how bad it was. Like I just could not figure it out. Have you ever gotten a zero on a test? Like you know how, What's the, like, what's the probability of getting a zero on a test? I, I don't know, because that's another math problem, but like, <laughs> like, you gotta get everything wrong. Like, you just, I did nothing right. And getting a zero and living in a Haitian household, I'm telling you, that is the worst combination. Like, mom, I got a zero. It, 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 it didn't go good. But it was, it was a real struggle for me. I just like could not, I just couldn't figure math out. And, and, and really alongside with my issue of not being able to do math, I couldn't even tell time. You're like, what does that mean? Remember back in the day they had like clocks that you had to... I'm telling all my business. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with her? But for real, I had transferred schools like from first grade to second grade. And by the time I got to second grade, they already taught about the big hand and the little hand and I missed it. And so. I just, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell time. I'm just being really honest. I'm so glad the iPhone came out because I, I was struggling. I'm like, what time is it? I'm like, 5, 10, 15. <laughs> and you ever meet people who you ask them what time it is and they give you a math problem? Oh, it's a quarter past 12. No, Susie, what time is it? I didn't, I didn't ask you. Don't give me more work to do. But I struggled, for real. Like, it was... It was a real thing and I I developed like a limited belief system that I kind of capped myself because I was like, you will never understand this. Like you can, you can't, you can't learn this. So I would, I would walk into certain classes and I would sit there and just expect failure. I was like, there's no way I'm going to pass this class. There's no way I'm going to learn this thing. And, and my limited belief system started to inform my decisions, the classes that I thought I could take, the major that I thought I could major in, the career. I was like, I can't do anything that involves math. Thank God I became a pastor. I was like, I can't. I, I just couldn't figure it out. And so I would make decisions based on what I felt I was capable, or capable of doing. And this limited belief system restricted me that it blocked me from certain things. And many of us, we have created systems that block us, that we have created limited belief systems. We're like, well, I can't have joy. I can't have peace. I can't be free. I can't experience the the goodness of God. And so we limit ourselves because we think that we can't receive it because we've never seen it. And there's people who you, you've been here each and every Sunday, and we've been talking about the art of joy, but you sit in your seat and you're like, well, why are they talking about joy when I'm still depressed? And why do they keep talking about joy when I haven't seen it? Everything in my life is, is going wrong. I can't have joy. And so we block ourselves from receiving because you're just like, I can't, even, I can't even learn this thing. There's no way that I could figure this joy thing out. But the beautiful thing is that we serve a limitless God. That even the things that we have placed limits on, that he can remove the limits. See, I believe that joy is available, peace is available. If there's anything that God has promised in his word, I have access to it. And so today, I just wanna help take the limits off and tell you that you can receive joy and you can receive peace. See, Charles Spurgeon says, do not indulge any of you in the silly notion that you can be contented without learning or learn without discipline. And so if you're in the room and you're just like, I I don't know if I can ever be content, you can learn how to be content. Paul says, I have learned how to be content in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of contentment. You can learn how to be content you can learn how to live a life of contentment and we all need to learn contentment see contentment is an inward confidence of god's goodness that produces joy and peace regardless of outward circumstances so contentment is, is inward. It, it is not based on our circumstances. And, and how do we know this? The person who is writing about contentment is not on a vacation. He's not chilling on the beach. He's not on a cruise. He is in prison. He is literally in a prison cell saying, I have learned the secret of contentment. And so it could not be based on any of my circumstances. Contentment has got to be inward. See, oftentimes we think that the people who need to be content are the people who lack something. The people who need to be content are the people who are single. They just need to learn how to be content. Or people who who don't have the dream job yet, Just, just be content, just be content until you get the job. Be content until you get the thing. And so we have had this idea, we have this idea in our mind that contentment has to do with our present circumstances. But I know people who are rich who are discontent. I know people who have a dream job that are discontent. People with lots of followers on Instagram who are still discontent. So that means that my contentment doesn't come from if things are going good or if they're going bad. That if I can be discontent in a great season, and I can be discontent in a bad season, that must mean that I can also be content in a bad season or a great season. That no matter what the season looks like, that I can say, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will be glad and rejoice in it. If He's made the day, I can rejoice. See, as Paul is talking to the church, he says, whatever I have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He's telling them, you've got to put this into practice, that it won't happen unless you learn it and practice it. See, there's a learning zone and a performance zone. See, in the learning zone, we can expect to make mistakes. We're gathering knowledge, we're gathering information, but in the performance zone, we are executing what we already know. But to get better in life, we have to live between both zones. That we always have to live between learning and performing. See, even in the areas that we are experts at, the most successful people are those who do not neglect learning. It is those that can go between both zones. So I have to learn it, and I have to live it. That I have to learn how to be content, and I have to live out our contentment. And so how do we get contentment? How do we find this contentment? We talked about the who, the what, the where, the when, but but what about the how? How do we find this measure of joy? How do we find God's peace? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, had the finest education, except in math, as we've learned, But my my teacher, she would always start off the day with the aim. We'd walk into the room and written on the chalkboard is aim. And then it would go into the do now. And she always have homework for us. And, And the aim was to focus us for the lesson. It was for us to know what we were getting ready to learn. And the do now was meant to activate our learning and our homework was meant to reinforce what we have learned. And so I'm gonna go through some things, I'm gonna set our aim, or do now, but you have homework to do. That in order to reinforce what you learn, there is work that you have to do outside of church. So we can come to church on a Sunday and we can receive and we can learn, but then now you have to actually apply what you have learned when you step outside of this building. We only get to come here once a week but what happens on the other days? There are things that we have to do in order to continue to to live the life that God has called us to live. And so our aim for today, I'm gonna set our focus, our aim for today is finding contentment in every season, in every circumstance, that is our goal. How, How can I find contentment in every circumstance? And there's a few things that we can do practically. There's some things that you can do now to find contentment in every circumstance. The first thing is practice gratitude. See, Paul reiterates at the closing thoughts of his letter to rejoice. It's all here in the text. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice that he is reminding them that no matter what the situation is, that they must rejoice. He says always. He doesn't say sometimes. He doesn't say when you feel like it. He doesn't say when you have enough money in your pocket. He says always rejoice in the Lord, always. See, our gratitude will protect our contentment. When we are grateful, we can live a life of joy. When we're taking time to actually think about the goodness of God and all the things that God has done, we can re- remain content. When we fix our focus on the things that we can be grateful for, we can live this life of contentment. And something practical practical that you can do, you can start a gratitude journal. Maybe you're, you're, you wake up in the morning, maybe take some time to, to think about the things that you're grateful for, to write down the things that you are grateful for. I was in a season of my life four years ago. I got into a car accident, and it was a really dark season of my life. I was in a coma for 10 days. I spent months in recovery, but there were a few things that I had to do daily in order to set my heart on the things of God that this was a season that had taken away my joy. It was a season that I felt like I was losing hope, but I had to make up in my mind that I was going to be grateful daily. And so what I did was I started a little note in my phone, it's still in my phone, I called it recovery. And, and every day that I could, I would write down certain wins. I would write down daily wins. I'm gonna read some, this, this came literally four years ago, I was reading through this. And there were things that that I wrote, and it's interesting because some of these things are things that I don't praise God for today because they were so small in that season, but they were very significant to me. I wrote down, I wrote, today I held my phone better than I did yesterday. I remember trying to hold my phone. I couldn't couldn't even hold my phone for longer than a moment to send a text message because I was so weak and I didn't have any strength, but I can't remember the last time that I woke up in the morning. I was like, thank you, God, that I can send a text message. But in that season, it meant everything to me It's another thing that I had wrote down. I wrote my voice sounded a little bit better today. I had been intubated and so my vocal cords were affected and and I, I didn't have a voice. I couldn't talk for very long I couldn't hold a conversation. I had a speech a speech pathologist that came over and was trying to help me uh, create exercises so I could get my voice back and and I wasn't sure weeks had passed by and doctors would say, hey, your voice is going to get better. And, and it didn't get better. And so when I saw improvement, I wrote, I sounded a little better today than I did yesterday. I wrote, I walked a little bit today. Another one I wrote down was like, I took a shower standing up, just small stuff. I went to the bathroom alone today a few times. The last thing I had wrote, I wrote, I went to sleep without the help of medication. I was in a season where I couldn't, I couldn't rest. There was so much fear and, and all the different things that were going through in my mind that, that I couldn't sleep. People would come to my room and they would pray over me and, and I would try to take things so that I could fall asleep. But there was one morning that I woke up and I was like, I actually slept. And so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down these small wins. That the season was, was dark. The season wasn't an easy season, but I had to make up in my mind. See, in a season where it should have robbed me of all of my joy, in a season where I should have been robbed of all of my peace, in a season where everything could have been ripped up under the rug, I was open target for the enemy. I mean, all the things that I was going through, I should have been depressed, I should have been suicidal, I should have lost my mind. There's so many things that I could have been in that season, but I made up in my mind that no matter what I'm going through, that I'm going to give God praise, that it doesn't matter what the season looks like, that if I can be grateful, If I could get in my mind that I just need to get grateful, things can shift and things can move, that I don't have to be in a season where I feel like everything's being ripped up under me, that I had to learn that gratitude was going to safeguard me. This is what Paul says to the Philippian church. He says that your gratitude will be a safeguard. The text specifically says... Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to say this to you again. It is a safeguard for you. I wanna let you know that your gratitude will be a safeguard, that your gratitude will protect your contentment, that your gratitude will give you peace of mind if you could only just be grateful. And it might seem like I don't have much to be grateful for, but is there anything you can be grateful for? See, if there is breath in my lungs, I can be grateful. If I have a pulse, I can have a praise. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So as long as I've got breath in my body, I can be grateful. As long as I've got breath in my lungs, I've got enough to thank God for. That it doesn't matter how the day is going, if he's given me breath, I've got a praise. See, we've got to practice Gratitude. But the second thing is we we must practice praying. And I'm just working through the text. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. saying, petition God. See, petitions usually need multiple signatures. and It might mean that you have to go back to God again and be like, hey, God, I'm asking you this thing again. I'm bringing it to you again, but, but I'm not going to worry about any circumstance. I am going to pray in everything. That we, we've got to create rhythms of prayer. That we have to make sure that we are setting time aside to pray that I've noticed it in my own life that if I do not create or set a time that life will just take over, the busyness of life, the things that I have to do, the things on my to-do list, but if I do not make prayer a priority, I might miss it. And so Paul is trying to tell the church, make prayer your priority, that it should be your first response, that you should go to God at your point of need with whatever it is that you need Go to God, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends your heart and mind, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so you might not get everything that you need when you pray, but you will get the peace of God. You will get the kind of peace that says that I can make it through no matter what. So we gotta practice gratitude, we have to practice praying, but we also have to practice peace. See see Paul talks about the god of peace he, he talks about the peace of god. And if I have to guard my heart and my mind that is an inward thing. And it starts with my thoughts. That I've got to fix my thoughts that's why he tells them whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. Paul is saying that if you are going to fix what is happening with you, it must start inward. That it has got to start with your thoughts. What are you thinking about? What are the thoughts in your mind? How can you shift your thinking in order to live a life of contentment? We've gotta think new thoughts. The things that we have to do now, but there's also things I've realized that, that we just have to do never. Like, the things that we have to do never is compare, covet, complain. These are things that we should just never do. Comparison will never lead us to a place of contentment. When, when we covet, that means that, well, I want what you have. I want the thing that you have. I, I You have that. How can I get this? And, and complaining, complaining is saying, God, I know you gave me this, but can you give me something else? I know you gave me this, but, but I, don't, I, don't, I don't want it. I, I'd rather have something else. And, and comparison will rob us from our peace. It will rob us from our joy. See, one of the main reasons why this generation can't have peace is because we are flooded with, with what everybody else is doing. We're flooded with what everybody else's life looks like and what everybody is up to. And we desire to be content but ironically we're ruled by content. That I desire contentment but the content that I consume is taking away from my peace and taking away from my joy. That it is robbing me because I go on Instagram and I'm like, well that means I I I need to live my life like that person. And, and, and I need to have this, and I need to have that, and I need to go on vacation like this, and I need to drive a car like this, and I, and, and I look at what everybody else has, and all the content that I am consuming is now skewing my view of what I even feel like I need in life, and so I have now placed this unrealistic expectation on life because of the content that I consume. And I look at people's lives on Instagram, and it looks great, but their great life was perfectly curated by a content creator. How interesting is that, that, that we're just creating content? But I believe that God wants to create for us contentment, that he desires for us to have contentment. And it's not saying that content is wrong, but consuming content without the right filter creates discontentment. That if I'm looking at the content that I'm, I'm, I'm consuming with the wrong lens, it would always lead me to discontentment. Do you know that the average American will spend nearly a month and a half on their phones in 2022? That we give so much time to this and I don't think we're gonna go back. I don't think we're gonna start spending less time on our phones, but what am I doing when I'm consuming content? How am I filtering the content that I'm consuming? Our world is shifting in a different direction and we just have to know how to maneuver through it. Like, I'm not gonna get off of Instagram, but I need to know how to use Instagram where it does not affect me in a place that I live with discontentment. I have to filter it correctly. And social media or not, the lives of people sometimes can have us in a place of discontentment, that we can look at somebody's lives and we're like, well, I wish I had that. Or there's this like reverse comparison. It's like a flip on comparison. You look at somebody's life and you're like, I bet it's not even that perfect. Like I know their family looks all good, but I bet it's probably something wrong. I know that he looks perfect, but his breath probably stinks. I know something. There's something wrong with him. And so we try to justify to hopefully make us feel better if their life isn't as perfect as it seems. Well, like the grass is not greener on the other side, but what if the grass is exactly that green? Like what if their life is just as perfect? What if they are just as happy? Like I I can't be consumed on if they're happy or if they're not, that somebody's happiness should not create discontentment for me or somebody's discontentment should not create joy for me. That I should not be happy if somebody's not that happy that I shouldn't be happy if their perfect isn't that perfect. I'm not concerned. I shouldn't be concerned about their life at all, that it should not consume me to a place of comparison. And comparison has been an issue since the book of Genesis. Cain and Abel, we know their story. They, They both offered sacrifices to God. But interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't tell us why the Lord looked with favor on Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't look with favor on Cain's sacrifice. And the text said, so Cain was very angry and his face downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? And God says to him, if you do what's right, you will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God doesn't tell Cain, be more like your brother. He doesn't say, why why, why can't you be like them? No, he simply tells Cain, you do what's right. You do what you have to do. But instead of Cain working on himself, his jealousy leads him to kill his brother. Like imagine if Cain took the same energy that he took to plot to kill his brother, to work on his sacrifice, he would not be in the same position. And the energy that we take to compare and to covet and to complain, if we just turn that energy in a place of, okay, God, how can you use me to be better? We could find contentment. The thing about contentment is that we will never get it from an external source we will never find contentment from an external source, that that we can never find it in anything but in God. But we can often say, well, when I get this thing, I'll be content. When I get the job, then I'll be content. When I get the spouse, then I'll be happy. And we live with this when and then mentality. And we've based our contentment on when this thing will happen. But then when that happens, then we want God to do another thing. It's always just like, God, God I just need that one thing. I just, need, I just need this one thing. I've got everything but the one thing. But I believe God's reminder to us is that we already have the one thing, and his name is Jesus, and that the one thing that we need is in him, that I can have peace, and I can have joy, and I have purpose, and I can find it in Jesus. Jesus that he is everything that we need. He is our source of contentment. He is our source of strength. That if we think that more is going to lead us to contentment, we've got it all wrong. That if we think the map of more will lead us to contentment, that was like, what if I have more things? The other day I was looking for something to wear and I had clothes everywhere, but I was like, I can't find anything to wear. Or like, I've I've got all the channels. Like, I got all the logins. I got everybody's logins for Netflix, YouTube. I got it all. But still, I don't know. I can't find something to watch. At lunchtime, I'm on Uber Eats. I have all the options. But I don't know what I want to eat. That, that more does not lead me to contentment. What happens is I now become dissatisfied because I, I can't even pick. I was like, I don't, even, I don't even know what I want. And now I'm frustrated. And now all the things that I, that I thought would make me happy has now just left me discontented. But I have to be reminded that my contentment comes from one place. There is only one source for my contentment. There's not multiple sources for my contentment. There is just one source, and it's Jesus. That is the only place that I can find true contentment. I can find temporary contentment in other things, but it won't last very long. That Jesus is the one thing, but oftentimes we can, we can treat God like a side piece. We can treat him like a thing on the side, that, that I come to church, But the moment that I leave these doors, I'm going to look for something else to make me happy. That I come in a place like this, but I know that the moment that I get in my car, there is something else that I am counting on to make me content. There might be someone else that I'm placing my contentment on or something or somewhere. But he is everything that we need. But we have to come to a place where we can actually trust that He is everything that we need. See, contentment is trust. The prophet Jeremiah says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. There will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I believe that God's promise for us is as we stay connected to him, as we remain planted in him, that we don't have to fear when the heat comes. That we don't have to fear in the midst of drought. That if I am connected to the source, I will always have everything that I need. That my seasons might change. But I love what it says, the leaves are always green. That my leaves can always be green. That I can always have joy no matter what the circumstance looks like because I'm planted near the stream. I'm planted near the source in John 15. Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. I cannot produce joy by myself. I cannot produce peace by myself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that God desires for us to bear. These are all fruits that we can bear but we have to remain in him. That that we have to remain close to the father if we desire to produce joy. That if we desire to receive the measure of joy that God has for us, we have to remain close to the father. That we have to stay connected to the source. We all might know the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. The lost son, as he's described, that as he was in his father's house, he had everything that he needed. He had protection. He had servants to take care of his need. He had food, you name it. He had everything in his father's house. But one day he he said, you know what, dad, give me my inheritance now. I want to leave here. I want to go out on my own. So his father, he gives him his inheritance and he goes out and he begins to spend it and he begins to live a wild life, the Bible says. And then he reaches this low point. There's a famine in the land. There's a drought in the land. And he has spent all that he has and he finds himself in this moment where he's like, if I was only at my father's house... I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in right now so so he gets up and he makes his way to the father's house and the Bible says that the father runs out to meet him he throws a party and there's another son and this other son he's frustrated he's like what I've been I've been faithful to you I've remained in the house I've never left and and you're throwing a party for him And the father says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, the famine in the land did not affect the father's house, that there was a famine around the land, but the father's house still had fruit that it produced and he knew where he needed to run back to in order to get what he needed. The moment that he detached himself from the source was the moment that he was depleted. And many of us in this room, what we just need to do is stay connected to the Father's house. That you're looking for answers and you're trying to figure out, God, how can I get what I need? And God's saying, just stay connected to the house just stay at my feet don't run away from the father Even when it gets difficult, I just need you to stay at my feet. I've got everything that you need, that I am your source, that whatever it is that you need, that you can find it in my house. If you need joy, it's in the house. If you need peace, it's in the house. If you need healing, it's in the house. God said, I've got everything that you need, that you will not have lack, that you will not be missing a thing when you're at the feet of the father he will provide everything that you need that in this season he will be everything that you need you've just got to stay connected to the father's house you've got to remain connected to his house that we can't ever leave his presence there's not a moment that i don't need the father There's not a moment that I don't need his presence. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It it doesn't matter how successful you are. In order to remain successful and content, you need the Father. I know you've got it all together. I know your life is perfect, but you still need the Father. There is no way that I will go in my life where I will not need his presence. And if you're in the room, you're just like, I I don't have what I need. I'm in a position of lack that, that, that everything is going wrong in my life. Just stay connected to the Father. That he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding that you'll be in a season and people will look at you and say, how do you have joy? You don't even have a job. How do you have joy? God has not answered your prayers yet. You can just tell them I'm connected to the Father. I'm at the Father's house. I don't got to worry about anything that I have ever made at the feet of the Father. That he is everything that you need. And maybe you're in the house today, you're like, I need to run back to the Father. I need to to go back to the Father's house. The beautiful thing is that he is waiting with open arms. That he is running to you. That he is running after you. That he is pursuing you right now even in this room. He's tugging at your heart. And that tug is the Father running after you. That tug is the, the Father reminding you that he loves you. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. That he loves you. So we're just going to take a moment just to respond in the room. Because I know that this is my prayer. I know that I need to run to the Father. I know that I am in desperate need of Him. I know that I couldn't make it without Him. And so we're just going to take a moment just to sing. And as you sing, that might be your prayer. And maybe you might feel unworthy, but I just want to let you know that He loves you. You might feel like you're far gone, but I want to let you know that he is for you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he loves you so deeply. And so come on, let's just lift up our hands. Let's lift up our voice in this place.
0: Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to him, We wanna create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you wanna say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to vuchurchcom online. We love you.